So now I put on my happy face because I like the topic of this sermon. I like this topic series and I feel so good about it. Um, we're doing a series, kind of a debrief on the elements of worship that we use um, on Sunday morning here. So a couple of week, weeks ago, we did the Sarum prayer at the beginning of the service that we use. Um, Emily did a great talk on communion, best talk ever I've heard on communion. I've given many myself. That was the best I'd ever heard. Um, uh, today, we're going to cover uh, a gospel hymn, uh, I Will Arise, Come Ye Sinners, it's also known by. I've always wanted to preach on this hymn. So, but, you know, the, the elements of worship in general, the reason we're paying attention to this, the reason we're doing it is because um, the elements of worship connect us to our spiritual um, wells, our spiritual ancestry, our spiritual depth through time. Uh, and they offer us a glimpse of what moved our ancestors, their pains, their sorrows, their joys, their wisdom, their experience of God, how they interacted with God in the midst of the lives they were living. Uh, in, in, a, in a culture with the attention span of a, of a fruit fly, <laughs> which is ours, it's good to dip our canoes into a stream that goes back to Abraham and Sarah and, and a more nameless past beyond them. It's called a gospel hymn compared to a, another kind of hymn because it's uh, got certain characteristics, the gospel hymns, the simpler lyrics in general, feeling-based, sometimes um, even a little maudlin or sentimental at times, invitational, uh, catchy, often a catchier tune, uh, often lifted from like the bar tunes of the day, not stately like so many of the hymns in the Episcopal uh, hymnal. Um, the, the gospel hymns, and this one in particular, the found in the African-American uh, heritage hymnal, in the Methodist hymnal, and the Baptist hymnals, um, these gospel hymns came out of the uh, evangelical revivals of the past, the great awakening in uh, the Revolutionary War era in England, United States, Wales, and other places. The second great awakening um, around the Civil War era. I think this particular gospel hymn that was written by the words, that is, written by an 18th century Brit who um, came to faith at age 45 after hard living, it's characterized as. was In London, that probably meant he spent several years getting pickled in the, in the gin houses. Um, the anti-slavery movement came out of this period, uh, fueled by revival in England. Uh, it, it was picked up, this song, by the American revivalists and the camp meetings and all that stuff that was going on in that period of time. I love the, the kind vision of this uh, gospel hymn uh, toward us human beings as sinners. In particular, it's just the kindest perspective on what it is to be a sinner that you'll ever find. Verse 1 Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Verse 3 Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. So every descriptive word there evokes sympathy. Not, not moral outrage, not, you know, you bad sinner, but just sympathy. I mean, even ruined, the word ruined in the Urban Dictionary, really bleeping drunk is what ruined means, is, is, is ruined by the fall. So, like, something that goes back to our collective mysterious origin 
as a species. It's like we're all in this together. It's, it's, a, it's a kind perspective on uh, that part of our humanity called we're sinners. We, you know, we sing songs to, to enter and to own feelings with greater clarity, right? That's what a song like this does. Um, we, we don't just have the feeling and then say, oh, I'm having this very vivid, clear feeling. Now I want to go a song to sing a song that expresses that feeling. That's not, that's not why we use songs generally. You know, our feelings are so often unfocused, they're scattered, they're conflicted, they're many layered, uh, they're chaotic, they're hard to name and identify at a given time. So we sing songs to enter and own more, like more singular, clearer feelings with less chaos. It's a way of naming some of our important deep feelings and also the feelings that we share together with other human beings, which makes them even more powerful and makes us less alone in our feelings. What a benefit to enter and own this feeling. It's, it's, it's essentially like a single textured feeling in the, it's one of the most coherent lyrics you'll find in a, in a hymn. Um, knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves precisely in our weakness, in our woundedness, in our need, and doing so sympathetically, without the wagging finger of blame. Oh my gosh, do we have an instinct as human beings to deny and to scramble to hide our weakness, right? And our woundedness and our need. Uh, where does that come from? I mean, we all feel it, we all know it. Um, pride, sure. Um, more often, I'd say shame and self-blame. Um, but it's probably, these things even are probably like a misfiring of a powerful survival instinct that's like wired into our genes that we share with other mammals. For this one, I consulted uh, the, uh, the right, um, uh, Her Excellency Dr. Gretchen Humphreys, our resident veterinarian. Um, <laughs> And she's, I was, I was uh, you know, Facebook messaging her about this because I had a half idea that there was such a thing. I better, I said, she's going to be there listening. I might as well say it right so I don't, you know, <laughs> get it all wrong with an expert in our midst. She said, it's called masking symptoms. Ooh, remember that phrase, masking symptoms. And she's talking about the, the animal world as a vet. And it is the reason why with exotic pets, anything other than a cat or a dog, and I've uh, deleted the interesting excursus about cats being probably wild by DNA and not domesticated. There are no known domesticated markers in their DNA. And it was fascinating, but not so related. So I cut that part out. <laughs> They are often dying. These exotic pets are often dying before you even realize they are sick. They're masking their symptoms so well. We see this, we veterinarians see this in large herbivores like horses who are also convinced that something will eat them at any moment. <laughs> with dogs, listen to this, what, with dogs what I see in the office all the time is the lameness the owner is concerned about disappears when they, the dogs, are in a stressful situation like the veterinarian's exam room. That's probably the same process of symptom masking. 
So you get that, the dog has been injured, it's limping or whatever, it's, you know, it's at home with his master, it's feeling fine and all that. And it gets to the vet, it's like, it's anxious and it hides, it masks, it symptoms, and it won't, won't limp anymore. This is a powerful thing that happens to us. I've got my own examples, my charming example that I'll repeat is uh, this period of depression after my dad's death. I, getting the follow-up calls from the hospice to care for the caregivers afterwards. I ignore the calls. It's back in the era when you didn't have cell phones. Nancy picks up one of the calls. They want to talk to me. I'm signaling, I'm not home. I'm not home. And she says, he's right here. And yes, he needs to talk to you. <laughs> Hands me the phone and I give her my best possible stink eye. Hello? And of course, that was an important phone call. It ended up starting a process that got me some help that was really helpful. In 2015, uh, once Blue Ocean was safely planted, I knew I should get some serious counseling, the process, blah, 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 2014. I circled around that like a dog. Can't find a spot to lie down. Did you ever have a dog that just couldn't? It would take five minutes to circle before it would actually lie down. It took months for me to ask for a referral and then months to make the call. Of course, I knew once I started, it was nothing but helpful. Nothing but helpful. But I was, what, symptom masking. Anyone around here notice that I um, developed hearing loss perhaps before I Notice that I developed hearing loss. Uh, you know, I, bet, I bet some of you did. Now, you probably, you probably didn't say, hey, Ken, you should go get your hearing tested because you knew that you'd probably get a little resistance and that's kind of awkward socially, so you're careful before you do that. You, know, you normalize to your normal, and most things sneak up slowly on us. It took my sister getting these. I'll, I'll show them. This is my big outing here. My, my sister... Uh, got these, uh, telling me how much difference it made and how much better they are than when my dad had his, you know, god-awful ones that squeaked in his ears and all that kind of stuff. And then there was months revving up to make the call and the Michigan Hearing Clinic. And, you know, it's hearing aids convey aging stigma. Um, and so there you go. Um, I waited way too long to get professional financial planning help for retirement. Why? Because I was embarrassed I hadn't done a better job planning for my retirement, which is the reason you need the professional <laughs> financial planning help. Verse 3, come you weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, you'll never come at all. It's like, right, exactly. It's like, I love this. There's sympathy. There's good humor. There's not a whiff of moralistic finger wagging in this. There's, there's no appealing to conscience, for example. The first line of this sin is, come ye sinners. There's not a single appeal to conscience in this song. You should. You better. In fact, when conscience is mentioned in, what is it, verse 4, it's only mentioned as a possible factor that could keep you from coming to Jesus. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. We all know a nagging conscience 
can become its own obstacle as we get caught up in a cycle of beating ourselves up and feeling that we deserve it and then of course we don't deserve any help and the cycle continues and we're, you know. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. <laughs> like that, you know, like you're struggling with something and you're just like, oh, next week I'm sure it'll be better or next month or next year and you're fondly dreaming of when it's better. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. You know, maybe if you grew up evangelical, you heard this, the faith before the facts and the feelings will follow. Boo hunky! That's not what the song is saying. The song is saying, feeling first. And the, the song is giving us the feeling. It's like offering itself. If we will jump on this feeling train called this song, we will have the feeling that the, the song conveys. Where was I? All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This is AA wisdom, recognized by any of our 12-steppers in, in the room here. In AA, all that's required is the desire to stop drinking, you know, and it, it might take you a long time. Keep coming to the meetings. All you need to come is just wanting to stop drinking. You know, inside, why do we sing these songs? We're, we're inside, we're, we're like a congress of persons inside our heads, right? This voice is going on inside our heads. They're, they're part of different parties and factions. We've got stern voices, demanding voices, lax voices, apathetic voices, mean, kind, judgmental, friendly. The loudest voices in your head are usually not the wisest voices. Often the gentlest, the quietest voices are the wisest voices, just like in Congress, in our heads. Um, we sing this song in order to amplify the saner, wiser, kinder voices in our heads and to momentarily at least drown out the nagging, disempowering, judgmental voices in our heads. So we sing the song to enter and own the feelings that will um, lead us to life. So um, what do we really need um, when we're in that state of resistance, that maybe biologically driven state of resistance, of um, symptom masking, um, whether it's due to shyness or embarrassment or pride or shame or self-blame. We need the chorus, baby. We need the chorus. The chorus was added a little bit later to this particular hymn, and a lot of the classic hymns, they just have like four verses, boom, boom, like four chapters in a book. But, but you know, when you throw a chorus in there, you're like, okay, we need, to, we need to reinforce something here. And this chorus was added a little bit later, but it's the, this is the payoff. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms and in the arms of my dear savior oh there are 10,000 charms 10,000 charms that that's a charm for every situation you know <laughs> you're not going to get some standard off-the-shelf help um, this is 10,000 Charms. I love this phrase, 10,000 charms. You know, the sector of Christianity that produced this song came from the sector that is especially nervous about magic, right? I mean, your Baptist, you know, great-grandmother would freak out if she even saw a picture of a Ouija board. Yet the word charms 
has that connotation. It's got an exotic magic vibe connotation. And there it is. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. I went to the synonyms here. Attract, allure, charm, captivate, fascinate, enchant. It's the language of, of romance, isn't it? In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. You know, I think things come out of the evangelical heart and song that are not allowed in the evangelical mind or even in the evangelical orthodoxy. It just gets sneaked in there through the songs. A man named John Hart wrote these words, in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. You know, this sharp gender binary that so much religion wants to assert and defend and prop up. The Bible says, chill, it's passing away. It's actually passing away. And in worship, we're moving into the realm, actually, of the kingdom of God, which is the realm beyond gender binary. So a straight man like me can sing this. I feel romantic yearnings for my dear Savior, Jesus, Though literally, it's a gay man lyric, right? I mean, to our gay men, can I say, am I allowed to say that? It, it seems to me, it's like the subversive nature of worship and of art in, in, in this song. So, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. And in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. Language of allure, enchantment, charm, fascination, delight desire arising and going not because we're supposed to or because it's good for us or because we have to but arising and going to Jesus because we want to um, I want to close by letting Sue Brokaw bear witness um, to the effect of this song in her late husband Caleb's uh, last days especially um, Caleb had this by the way kind of um, romantic love for his uh, dear savior. C Caleb was a, was a romantic. Um, if, if, you knew, if you knew Caleb, you would want to know the Jesus that Caleb knew. I mean, that's, that's how I think about Caleb. Like, I wanna know the Jesus that Caleb was getting to know. That's the, that's the Jesus I would trust more than, than any other. And um, uh, Sue, by the way, is, is uh, finishing up her training in uh, spiritual direction. And, and one of these days, I think she's going to be taking on guinea, guinea pig um, clients. So we might be making that available to you when time comes. And I, I probably wasn't supposed to announce that publicly like that, but I apologize. <laughs> we can erase it from the tape. Everyone calls up Sue for spiritual direction. But I'm reading uh, directly from Sue's um, uh, email to me about this right now. Caleb had a really nice singing voice and always used it cheerfully to participate in singing in church regardless of whether he liked the music. In fact, when we first attended, this is cute, the church that shall not be named, about eight years ago, he was feeling critical of the music and was having difficulty participating when he felt the Holy Spirit say, acquiesce. I love that about Caleb. He's someone who'd like to like, listen up and sometimes he'd hear little words or get little impressions. He knew that was God, the Holy Spirit. This one time, he's, yeah, I don't like the music. I don't like that. And he gets this little word in his head, acquiesce. 
From then on, he always did just that during the music part of worship and never regretted it. We were introduced to the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, uh, I Will Arise, through Blue Ocean, where it was sung. As I, I, I asked Sue about this, thinking that she maybe she grew up in a more conservative background, but she uh, was introduced to the hymn um, from Blue Ocean. That was cool. Where it was sung as part of the worship many times in 2015, the year Caleb experienced a major decline in health due to lung cancer. In the days before his death, Caleb was asked what he wanted done at his memorial service, and after brief consideration, he asked for this song as part of it. Conversation during those days was difficult for him, with tumors pressing on his vocal cords and making it hard for him to speak, so I did not ask why he chose it. It seemed clear enough, and I assumed the choice was for the following two reasons. First, was that he understood what it meant to be weak and wounded, sick and sore, and that the arms of Jesus indeed seemed like a welcoming place to someone who was completely weary with fighting illness. He knew that in the days to come, he would be going somewhere. And the idea that he could arise and go to Jesus was inviting, even empowering, since arising and going anywhere had become quite difficult too. The second reason I believe this song appealed to him was the salvation message it has for all of us that no matter what place we're in, whether, in, uh, whether wounded, weary, or even tearing until we're better, Jesus has compassion, love, and power to meet us. I saw Caleb experience mysterious comfort from Jesus during his illness, and this song expresses that comfort. If that doesn't make you want to sing this song, I don't know what will. So we're going to take a, a quiet time of reflection. We will sing the song as our first song during the um, uh, worship related to communion here. But uh, a little exercise I want to offer in re, uh, regarding yourself with kindness as this song is inviting us to do. So just take a couple of minutes. We do this at the end of most sermons. Just for a time of quiet, get yourself in a comfortable position. It doesn't have to be perfectly quiet, obviously. Um, but what I'll suggest is that you first take uh, about 30 seconds, and I'll prompt you with some verbal prompts, um, to identify your name uh, silently, some aspect of your humanity that could be described with the words weak, wounded, sick and sore, you know, weary, heavy, heavy laden, something that, you know, you're struggling with. Uh, then I'm going to suggest a way to frame that in your mind that is kind to yourself, like this song is uh, kind to us. Here's how to do that. Instead of saying to yourself, I am discouraged about my marriage, or I'm frustrated by my insomnia, or I'm feeling bad about this or that or the other, um, use your name instead of I. Instead of first person I, use third person your name. So for me it would be Ken is. And um, try to, if you can picture yourself as a little person um, rather than a big person with the use of your name, which the use of your name will usually evoke that a little bit more because you first heard it from when you were a little person. Um, like I, I, I stumbled into some pictures of myself growing up and so I framed this one. I'm adorable. I mean, oh my God. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like three or four years old and I've got, 
I'm in the backyard of my house, 2039 Gilchrist. I've got these kind of like print short, baggy shorts on with a little t-shirt. And I got a, it looks like a plastic Popeye hat on my head and, and with, you know, my bare, bare, you know, white pasties. And then at the bottom, I've got little cowboy boots. And I've got this, and I'm, I'm picking dandelions. And I've got a dandelion in my hand. And I'm, I'm looking into the camera kind of like, like this. And... I mean, you just, you don't expect a lot from a guy that looks like that, you know? Like, you, you just tend to be kind of kind of kind to a person who, who looks like that when he's four years old. I'm just, so that when I think of Ken, then I've kind of got that picture in your mind. So, so you ready for this? So, let's just take uh, 30 seconds or so, try to identify that thing that you're frustrated about related to yourself right now or your circumstances. Just name that. Um, kind of land on one of those things. And then now that you've got that identified, just instead of saying, I am frustrated or whatever it is, use your name, like I would use Ken, use your name, is and picture yourself in your little person-ness, not your big person-ness. Let's just give that a minute. Just repeat that over and over. Your name, M, is, whatever. Amen.